Welcome to TKG's Healthcare Insights, where we explore healthcare's critical issues, challenges, and trends with a focus on achieving the quadruple aim of enhancing patient experience, improving population health, reducing costs, and improving the work life of healthcare providers and staff. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome. We're glad to have you listening today. I'm Warren Smedley with the Kinetics Group. A few weeks ago, we hosted our December meetings of the Oncology Thought Leaders Network, a part of TKG's Networks of Excellence, where we discussed a couple of the critical issues in cancer center administration and care delivery. The first group focused on discussing some of the top critical concerns facing academic cancer centers. The second group spent their time exploring the expanding role of biosimilars in clinical practice. Today, we'll be highlighting the key findings from that first group focused on the top concerns facing academic cancer centers. My co-host today is Ellen Feinstein, a longtime friend, colleague, and brilliant healthcare executive. I've had the privilege of working alongside Ellen on several national committees, including the Vizient Cancer Center Network Steering Committee, and we highly value Ellen's expertise in healthcare leadership, service line management, and oncology administration. Ellen serves on our Oncology Thought Leaders Network panel and was gracious to help us with the facilitation of these panel meetings this month. Welcome, Ellen, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Warren. TKG's Oncology Thought Leaders Network is a group of 16 senior-level oncology executives from across the country who bring a multidisciplinary perspective to the critical issues facing the delivery of high-quality cancer care. This group meets virtually each quarter as well as provides ad hoc input and support for various client projects and operational questions, grant-funded research, and market insights, all on an ongoing basis. Ellen, let's get started with today's discussion with that first group that met to talk about the critical issues facing academic cancer centers. Now, prior to that, you had done some background research on a project we were working on together on really what keeps administrators up at night. So how about if you start with some of your thoughts on what you found, and then I'll share my top eight or 10 issues that I found as well. Sure. So a couple of common themes came up as sort of key priorities and sort of hot topics among the group. And they can be bucketed into a couple of different sort of large, large scale topics. One is around operations. And there are, you know, that's front and foremost right now, particularly during a pandemic, because the operations have completely been challenged in so many new ways that are unanticipated. Another hot topic that we spent some time on is around effective, emerging, and sustainable technologies. How do we lead versus follow in, you know, sort of what's coming down and what's on the horizon? Another area that we spent some time talking about was financial challenges, not just in terms of reimbursement and getting paid for increasingly costly therapies and staff and so on, but really living in that value-based world and how do we, again, compete and bend that cost curve. So those are some of the key themes that came up. And within those, there are lots of sort of sub-themes around access, care delivery, you know, sustaining and retaining a viable workforce and, uh, you know, assessing technologies and so on. But those were the common sort of big bucket themes that we heard. Okay. Let me give you the top eight issues. There's a lot of issues, but the top eight that I identified as we were kind of working on some of this ahead of time 
Number one, addressing workforce shortages and burnout. You've heard it referred to as the great resignation. People are actually quitting and uh, they're getting burned out and quitting or they're retiring early, earlier than anticipated. So workforce shortages are, are huge within the, the broader healthcare environment. I actually had a discussion with some folks at Mass General recently about an issue they had with, do they provide sign-on bonuses to people that they're trying to recruit for these, some of these critical positions? Or does that then create a problem with the existing staff? So uh, we had a long discussion about how do you balance that in trying to address those workforce shortages? It's a real problem for many uh, in healthcare right now. Second would be redesigning care delivery in a digital world. Certainly with the pandemic, we've got a lot of change taking place in how we deliver care to our patients. But then you add to it an explosion of digital opportunities, virtual care, and all kinds of other things that then cause us to have to redesign how we deliver care, how we get information, how we share information, how we work with the patient, how we fill therapy uh, prescriptions for patients and help them to stay on those therapies. Everything has to be redesigned. It takes a lot of energy to redesign a whole care delivery system the way that we've been challenged to do over the last two years. Number three for the larger academic centers I had was meeting research goals and expectations. A lot of pressure to continue the research work that the large academic institutions are doing. A lot of competition for those patients, a lot of hesitation by patients to be involved in those programs, and a lot of competition for the staff that are required to actually carry out the research protocols. So a lot of challenges there for the larger institutions. We had a long discussion about white bagging by some of the major insurers, a lot of uh, issues surrounding that about how you actually deliver care to patients when when the institution doesn't control the entire cycle of distribution for a, a therapy of some kind, and uh, the insurers are then inserting themselves in the middle of that, it can be a real challenge. Number five on my list was competing in the site of care wars. A lot of issues around where do you deliver care? How do you deliver care? We had some of that discussion in our meetings this month, where we talked about what some of these large institutions are doing to expand their opportunities for different sites of care. Number six I had was addressing social determinants of health, disparities, and their impact, collective impact, on patient outcomes. While this may not be truly something that keeps our administrators up at night thinking about how we as healthcare providers have failed, it's certainly a system issue that we're responsible for addressing the patients that come to us that have these issues that compound their therapy, they come to us with them. It's hard to untangle all of that. It takes a lot of energy and effort to help patients overcome some of those barriers and burdens that they, that they may come to us with. Number seven I had was price transparency. A lot of discussion about being open and transparent about the prices that get pushed through to the patient and what the actual cost of care is. It's a lot more complex than people think. We hear about it on the news. and It sounds so simple. Just tell me what the price is. But we often, as providers, we don't know what the cost is because it has to go through the insurance process before we actually even know we're delivering care that we don't know what we're ultimately going to be paid for for it. So it's very complex. 
Number eight on my list of the top eight was increase the increasing dominance of a few major payers. So a lot of consolidation in the insurance side, a lot of consolidation in the distribution of therapies, getting therapies getting all the way from the manufacturer to the patient. And in that consolidation, a lot of control over that process and therefore a lot of influence on how the clinical teams can actually deliver care. So it creates a whole layer of additional work at the institution level to make sure we can deliver care safely on time, uh, get through all the issues that are required by all these by these payers. A lot of other issues out there as well, but those were those are the top of my list. And we talked about some of these in the in the meetings. So Ellen, what do you think? Those out of those top eight, any of those in particular resonate with you? Well, I think certainly, and this is a global goal for many, not unique to cancer centers, not unique to academic medical centers, but the whole staff well-being, and which really speaks to retention and then recruitment during a pandemic and beyond is certainly key. Uh, without our staff, we can't do anything. We can't see our current patients and we can't grow and you know try to see more new patients. So, you know, the common things that I think I heard around this was, um, you know, number one, retaining talent during that labor shortage. Um, There is competition in terms of compensation, not just with each other and our competitors in the um, academic medical center world, but also with vendors and industry. And then, of course, the great resignation. We're seeing this from CEOs on down including nursing staff and others. So the labor market has a tremendous impact on our ability to recruit and replace those folks. But I think our biggest challenge is how do we retain them first so we don't have to recruit and replace. And then some of the operational challenges, which can actually impact people's abilities to want to stay in the industry is around removing some of the, you know, the noise, the hassles, the speed bumps that are part of our day-to-day to ensure that the staff and the providers feel sufficiently supported and that they can do what they do best, which is taking care of patients, getting patients through the clinic and so on. Some of our colleagues have mentioned the use of Six Sigma and Lean, which really helps to reduce those speed bumps and make things sort of standardized and have standard work and reduce defects and um, deviations from those standards. That can help and really help optimize efficiencies. But of course, you need a culture that is going to embrace that. And it really comes from the top down. Some may see that as an investment that they can't afford. Others would argue that you can't afford not to invest in that or just take some of those principles. Sure. And tracking the data becomes really important in that being able to see the data because sometimes you just literally can't see you're too busy to actually see what some of the issues are that are slowing you down you everybody's working hard doing what they know to do and until you see the whole picture we do a lot of value stream mapping we train people in value stream mapping uh, and you look at the you look at the map of the value stream and you can see oh are we really doing it that way uh, one of our one of our panelists, Dr. Kubal, mentioned previously a situation where they were trying to improve the uh, the receipt and documentation of external medical records. They were trying to bring that in and document that 
in an efficient way. And they had a system set up at Moffitt where they actually would scan external medical records and add them into the patient's record. But they were, but the records were coming to them in electronic format. They were printing them, sending them off to be scanned and added back in. And that when they were being added back in, they were getting scrambled up and they kind of, they, they couldn't see it because everyone was doing their part in a, in a chain and you couldn't see the big picture until they actually drew it out on a map and mapped out the entire value stream of the process and said, oh, why are we taking an electronic version of this information and converting it to paper only to convert it back to electronic again? And they actually cut out three days worth of turnaround time and all the scanning. So improved their process by being able to see it. Same thing with looking at the data as you're working through some of these operational challenges and being able to actually put the data up on a chart, look at how does this data work? What does this tell us about the process? Are we bunched up on our infusion chairs? Are we, are we overloading our infusion chairs in the middle of the day like, like most cancer centers do? Or are we spreading things out? Are there ways to actually normalize the day better for ourselves? I thought Oshner presented in this last meeting a great perspective on ways to change their infusion center, uh, optimize the use of different players in that process. They actually have started a process where they bring the pharmacists out from behind the counter, if you want to think of it that way, within the cancer center, behind the counter, and actually out to the chair to help program the pumps, to help educate the patient, to do some of the medication prep things that the nurses have been doing, but then that frees the nurses up to allow them to have uh, more hands-on care with patients that they have. So I thought that was a unique opportunity. Everyone in the group said, oh, wow, I would love to know more about how you did that so that we could try and uh, some, try and do something similar in our centers. Yeah. And I think the key takeaway of that was not only redistributing some of the tasks between nursing and pharmacists, it allowed the pharmacists to become more clinically focused, i.e., as you mentioned, front in front of patients. And I think I might have asked, was that something that was a satisfier for both the nurses and the pharmacists? And, and they said, yes, it actually was for both. It also made the assumption, however, that there were sufficient pharmacists to allow them to be pulled from that you know, back of the house function more in front of the patients. So there were a couple of caveats there, but the outcomes seemed to be very favorable. And we were all intrigued to learn more about that. I mentioned earlier, Ellen, this discussion I had with our friends at Mass General, and they were talking about this dilemma that, that they have of wanting to put incentives out there to hire critical missing roles that they need to fill. And they were adding some fairly large recruitment incentive bonuses, sign-on bonuses to their recruitment package. And we're winding up with some dissatisfied employees that were saying, well, we're loyal, we're staying. Why aren't you providing us with an incentive to stay? And so they had to go back and kind of rethink that scenario. I thought that was an interesting dilemma and they wound up with a more balanced approach to that where they recognized those loyal employees, but also were able to provide some incentive for external folks to join their team. Yeah, those equity questions are always going to arise when you reward one group and not the other. 
And, you know, from a labor relations standpoint, it sounds like the longstanding loyal employees had a very good case to make to be recognized for their longevity and for sticking through some very tough times. So um, I think they, you know, whether they were forced to do that or they decided to do it out of fairness, I think they did the right thing. As we were talking about this in our meetings, Ellen, I know several people mentioned the issue of other industry partners in the delivery of high quality healthcare to our patients. We're all competing for the same people, the same nurses, the same technicians, the same pharmacists, and there needs to be some kind of pay equity to prevent people just from cherry picking and stealing from one another. I thought that was pretty interesting. It came up from a lot of people that this was an issue that by the time you get somebody trained, uh, they get hired away by someone for an extra couple dollars an hour. Yeah, we're certainly competing with ourselves in terms of hospital to hospital or academic medical center to academic medical center. But then it adds another layer of complexity. We're competing with our vendors and our other partners Ideally, I think people would love to see sort of a non-compete or non-poaching clause, but that's probably not realistic in, you know, um, a right-to-work state or right-to-work nation. But this is a very real problem. Most recently, people are experiencing it with their um, geneticists in that they are often attracted to industry for not just a few dollars, but actually a significant differential. And it's very hard, like you said, to keep training people, allowing them to get certified and, you know, keep their CEUs up and then have them be attracted to um, industry. Um, and, and in some ways, our physicians are also at risk as well for other reasons, not necessarily just economics. Certainly in the larger academic centers, we see a lot of physicians getting tired of the bureaucracy and going into private practice somewhere or into the community setting usually for a lot more money, Hard, harder work, longer hours, they get paid more. And sometimes in those settings, the bureaucracy is a little bit less than in the large institutions. Okay, this is where we will wrap up part one of our December Oncology Thought Leaders meeting. In the next episode, we will continue with the discussion of our panel members' comments on how they are handling the battles over site of care, also some discussion on care redesign, and how they are addressing social determinants of health. If you would like a copy of the summarized findings from these meetings, please email me directly or send a request to our podcast email address, oncology at thekineticsgroup.com, and I'd be happy to send you a summary of the meeting key learning points. Special thanks to my good friend Ellen Feinstein for sharing her time and expertise with us today. Well, this wraps up another week of TKG's Healthcare Insights. Thank you for joining us. Please note that the views and opinions expressed by the guests on these podcasts are those of the guests and do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of the Kinetics Group and our staff, clients, or customers. We welcome your suggestions, ideas, and requests for podcast topics of interest. Please email us at oncology at thekineticsgroup.com and write Insights Podcast in the subject line. Thank you. Have a safe and healthy day. You have been listening to TKG's Healthcare Insights, a program produced by the TKG Oncology team of the Kinetics Group. TKG Oncology empowers life science companies to effectively engage with health system and payer customers 
by developing strategies and real-world solutions aimed at impacting the right patient at the right time with the right care. We also work directly with health systems and payers to address the critical issues of our time. We would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at tkgoncology.com. Thank you for joining us today.